It's a special episode this week. We have a special guest. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. So I'm not even going to do a whole lot of talking and introducing things as normal. We're going to get right to it. And it's coming up right after this break. See you on the other side. All right. It is a pleasure today to welcome to Take Notes for Dr. John Carroll, someone who has become uh, a friend, a, a, a true friend, you know, not even just a contemporary, not even just an acquaintance, but a true friend, a colleague, a fellow father. Uh, he is a talented writer, producer in all the creative senses of some of your favorite shows, um, most recently The Wonder Years. Um, he is a man of God. So when I feel myself backsliding particularly far, I go to this man to, to get me back on the right path. He is the one, the only Mr. Salvin Patterson. Welcome, sir. How are you? And I'm how are you feeling? Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Uh, uh, Dr. John, as I especially like to refer you, <laughs> refer, uh, to you as. Thank you, man. Well, it is a pleasure. And, and so just for full context for for our audience, you know, Sally and I met first, you know, as I met, as I meet many people these days, uh, you know, touring, touring school, mm-hmm. I believe I ran into uh, your wife first in person. Yeah. So there was that. And then that began, you know, a synergy of what often happens, I imagine, in Hollywood when, you know, there aren't a lot of black people around us. <laughs> you know, we had a, a mutual friend who thought that, you know, your family, my family would be would be great together, and there would be great synergy. Yeah. And then ultimately, that did happen, and it, and it turned out to be true. Right. Uh, so our boys play baseball together, um, and we've just kept in contact, you know, on our our thread ever since. And again, it is, it is a it is a source of of all things, information, comfort, affirmation, all the things. So I'm happy to be able to bring that uh, to our audience because again, the reason I do this podcast is to is to take you know the questions that people ask me all the time um and just bring them to a larger audience so certainly there are conversations that we've had on what we lovingly refer to as the bat line right. um and, and bring them to 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 the people so the first question i have for you today mr saladin yep. is in terms of being a present father which mm-hmm. i'm just going to state as fact and given that you are and have been for your children what have been the most important ways for you to show that support for your kids as they have matriculated through school? It's uh, a good question. There's one, I mean, I know it's, it's the kind of thing that we thought about, John, like, you know, when our kids were little and we would want to like get them involved in things and, you know, um, and we got involved in things like Chelsea, um, my wife, Chelsea was always, always focused on, she was a stay at home mom, but said she was going to use that, that time and energy and those resources to really be involved in this kid's life school-wise and things like that. And that was certainly her path. And that path was kind of, that kind of presented itself to her. In terms of me as a present dad, so, you know, my dad was in the picture, but not around when I grew up. You know, I knew him for sure, still, still know him, but my mom and dad were divorced. And so he wasn't there day to day. So I can't say that I really had uh, in-home model to follow, you know, again, I'm not criticizing my dad because of that, you know, I know a lot of us have that experience. So I think, John, I had to kind of ask myself what being present was going to mean, 
you know, to me. And as you know, I mean, you have two kids. Each kid is different and kind of what that means for each kid depends on their personalities and what they respond to and what they're involved in and things. So with, with my daughter, I'll say this. I always say this to, to new dads who are going to have a daughter. I, I benefited from the fact that I think we live in a great time for dads to have daughters because mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the social stigma or social stereotypes of, you know, dads not being comfortable with little girls and dads not wanting to sit and have tea parties and dads not wanting to, you know, to play with dolls. Like we don't have those same, we don't have that same stigma. I don't think anymore today. Now things aren't perfect, but I don't feel in terms of dads and girls that there's that, you know, that same old school mentality of uh, mm-hmm. go talk to your mom. And so mm-hmm. because of that, since we had our daughter first, I always tell guys, the only thing you have to do as a dad of a daughter is love her. There's no such thing as loving her too much. Yeah, sure, you can spoil them, whatever, whatever, but let the moms deal with that. There's no such thing as, in my opinion, as a dad who is too doting of his daughter or or um, or treats her too much like a princess. You know, whatever the downside of that is, I think the upside far outweighs those things. So when I had a daughter, I was like, okay, great. You know, I don't have to worry about like with a son, you got, you know, I got to make him a man. I'm the one that's making him a man, you know, and I got to right. I gotta yes. balance some stuff, you know, you know, yes. I got to make sure he learns how the world's going, you know, all that stuff came with my son, with my daughter. It was just love, love, love. And so to me, that really helped kind of set what my goals were in terms of being present you know she she was involved in dance i was there you know one of my proudest accomplishments was the time when her mom was out of town and i, and I had to do her um her bun for ballet you know and they were they were strict about those buns man you know there was a there was a, a hair code and so you know i was i was able to be there for that um when she did gymnastics they would be there for that you know um just to to me being present for her was literally being present she was one like her 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 love language was was certainly you know physical touch um um was probably one one of her biggest ones so just being there and making sure that i was a resource i was someone that she could confide in you know and a lot of it has to do with her personality and my personality but like it was it was more literal with my daughter i should say okay for my son being present wasn't necessarily quite as literal, you know, even though I was still there, you know, cause he, cause he, you know, he played baseball, you know, as you alluded to, um, and his other activities, but I think being present for him really meant more of creating a safe space for him so that he knew, yeah, I was his dad. I was, I was harder on him in certain ways than I was with my daughter. Some of that may be more stereotypical ways for sure. You know, I'm still a product of the South, still a product of like, you know, there's certain ways that you're supposed to kind of teach a, you know, a, a young boy how to be a man. Um, I certainly helped him embrace his sensitivity, though, and I think that's what I meant, what I mean when I say being present for him meant creating a safe space for him because, like his dad, he's also a very sensitive kid then, young man now. Um, he, he's a, he has a lot of empathy, but he emotes a lot, you know, um, internalizes things a lot. And so what I found myself needing to do in terms of being present for but Josh was saying, okay, you're going to be safe with me to show all those emotions, all that hurt, all those feelings, because I understand, and I'm going to protect you from your fears of how the world's going to judge you because of that, okay? And I think that's what I had to discover as I, 
as he developed and became who he is, um, I discovered he needed me to play the role of protecting that. Because, you know, the world, depending on your environment and things like that, the world can beat that out of you, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really kind of pride myself on having played that role for him. You know, I I told you this before, too. You know, where we live, um, a few a few families here, when our boys were like six, seven years old, they wanted to play basketball. We all said, okay, look, let's all sign them up down at the Crenshaw Y to play basketball, okay? They're going to play basketball. They're going to learn right. how to play, you know, to play that particular style of basketball, right? Yes. Because it was important for us, you know, to make sure – there there's just certain experiences that we felt – we didn't want to make sure we removed ourselves from that are part of our culture just because we weren't necessarily living in environments where our culture was was all around us, right? Um, and so we, we we certainly did that, and and, I, and there's value to that. But you know, Josh at the same time wasn't he wasn't the same kind of kid as some of those kids were, you know. Right. I, I'll just say that. Um, no judgment against them, and no judgment against Josh. He he just wasn't. And so that's when I realized that the mistake, the biggest mistake I could make was try to make him be something he was, you know? Right. And so I, I, I was like, okay, my, my job is to make sure that what God has put in him gets protected and, and, and gets nurtured. You know, he can learn how to navigate these different environments and he did quite well with that, but I knew there was a kernel of him that, that needed to be nurtured. And so that's what I felt being present for him. Love all of that. And so, as always, you give me stuff that I want to follow up on and have to throw my script out the window, as it were. So I want to go back to the daughter piece for a second. And and you talked about how we live in this great time where absolutely for dads to participate Mm -hmm. in things that gender norm wise, otherwise we may not have, certainly our dads may not have done. I'm curious for you where you come down on what I think is also an old school notion in terms of dads and daughters, the idea that dads are protecting their daughters from the, you know, the man that they don't want them to bring home, right? right. Or, or the idea that dads are pro- being the role model for what you would hope your daughter, you know, would look for in a partner, right? right? Is that, has that been something that has been part of your, certainly relationship with, with Miss Micah? 100%, you know, and, and like you said, I do believe Hey, and I'm, I'm going to run the risk of sounding too old school sometimes, John, going back and forth, you know, but I, I do believe um, it's a father's responsibility to model for his daughter the type of man that you hope she grows up to be attracted to and see the value in. But, I, you know, I'll give my wife, I'll give Chelsea credit for that, too, because I think a big part of if we if dads make a mistake, they think that's all on us. A big mm-hmm. part of that is how we treat their moms, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the mom has a big role in modeling for the daughter how to appreciate the kind of man you hope your daughter grows up to be attracted to. And I give my wife, Chelsea, credit for always making sure she did that, you know? So it certainly was something that um, I think is important, but I think it's important for both the dad and mom to realize they have a role in shaping that image of what what a what a what a desirable man should be for the daughter um but it's weird too because i can certainly point to i you know a lot of it depends on the daughter too because i can certainly point to many i'm sure you can too you know there's the the 
stereotype of the preacher's daughter that that is a stereotype yeah. but still maybe based on some truth you know and things like that in terms of it can go the other way too and you can find yourself pushing your daughter away from a certain yes. sort of image of man of, of, of being a man um, and towards the exact opposite of what you intended exactly you know and 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 i can't pretend to know the formula for how you you know, ensure one thing happens and, and avoid the other thing happening. Because, you know, I know of many, many, you know, who I felt was, was very, you know, um, good intention dads who found themselves, their doors going the opposite way. It, it has a lot to do with the personality, I think, of, of the individual, you know, individuals involved. Um, but I certainly think you can't go wrong, per se, taking it upon yourself to make sure she's going to see the right example at home. Gotcha. Gotcha. I had to go there just because you were given such a great answer. Um, and it, it, it's one of those ways that shows the, the many ways that we are, say, knit and, and synchronous. But, yeah. you know, before we get too much into what would probably be a great, you know, relationship and partnership, you know, seminar that we could do for any <laughs> church or social group, I, I do want to steer us back a little bit yeah. towards towards school more so. I'm curious again, you know, because you got upperclassmen kids now. One, you know, as, as they say, is, has been launched into the world, and one in Josh about to be. I'm curious, what is the thing that you've had to grow? What is the area you've had to grow in the most in terms of your expectations of them in the classroom? Because again, I think when we start out as parents, we all have high ideals yeah. of of what their life will be, especially the more that we as parents have been blessed with. Right. which, you know, for both of us is, is a, is a, you know, thing that we deal with. Right. Um, well, I mean, I'll say this, like you said, it certainly is something I had to learn. And, and, and I really, I really value relationships I have with, you know, you and other parents of like mindset, because a lot of that growth and learning came from, or comes from, you know, being able to, to bounce things off of people, you, you know, as you and I often do like, Hey, I did this. I, res I responded that way. I don't feel that great about it. Can you let me know, you know, am I the only one, you know, sometimes it's that sometimes it's, Hey, I think this was actually a good situation. You know, and I feel like I responded the right way. What are your thoughts on this? So I, I say that that learning certainly was, I, I'm very grateful for the village that we had, but I mean, like you said, specifically when it came to the academics, man, and, 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 and I, I'll, I'll be, I'll admit this is something that on paper I kind of knew was a challenge um and and but i still found myself for whatever reasons you know parenting is hard i still found myself having to fight against this but to me it was the expectation of i did this this was um something that i was good at or this was something that i recognized the value of therefore you should too you know mm -hmm. um specifically with michael who's the oldest it was in terms of like the, the STEM fields in academics. You know, one, mm -hmm. one of the reasons that we really gravitated towards um, sending her to Marlboro for high school, um, those who don't know, Mar Marlboro is an all-girls school um, that it, it is a high academic school, a very rigorous um, school similar to Harvard Westlake, where you are dean at. And I just go ahead and say, since Mr. Soligan's on the board and he doesn't want to pop his collar too much, but probably the preeminent girls' school in Southern California. We'll just... <laughs> Right. Say it like that. <laughs> so very grateful that she had an opportunity there. And, and, and Marlboro definitely prides herself on having a strong STEM curriculum. So when, when she went there, we were like, okay, great. You know, this is the path she's going to go. And part of the reason we were attracted to the 
this the single sex education is because of the studies that show that when it came when it comes particularly to the STEM fields, girls who come from all girls schools tend to outperform girls who don't go to all girls school in the STEM field. So we're like, okay, this is perfect. Um, but it quickly became evident, and and you can you know certainly ask Micah this that um, she was not going to be a STEM kid, and and you know she. She still now humorously would tell the stories of what it was like doing math homework with dad, you know, because I made these assumptions that I just shouldn't make. It's like I found myself saying things like you should know how to do this or this is not hard, you know, and and I say it laughingly now. And thankfully, it didn't necessarily, you know, hurt her emotionally as it could had I not had other people to kind of bounce things off of. But, you know, that was something I had to quickly learn to accept, you know, hey, she's not me. You know, she's her own person, her own individual. And 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 not only is there nothing wrong with that, I need to to start changing my perspective to see the value in the things that she can do and does do well, you know. Um and so that was something like in terms that was certainly something I had to learn in terms of academics. You know, now mind you, Micah was a was a great student, you know, um, and she she really excelled in the things that she gravitated towards, and she and she did fine in, in in the STEM field as well. It's just one of those things where, you know, as parents, we ha- we have to separate and realize when we are trying to vicariously live through our kids or relive something through our kids, or when when our own pride is what's driving things. And that's all it was. It was my own pride because I wanted to be able to say she was like this or like that because I valued those things. Um, and I think my growth as a parent was saying, whatever she's good at, I'm going to be proud of. So, you know, that's kind of where I had to land. Um, with Josh, it was, I learned some lessons from Micah and knew not to repeat it with Josh, for sure. But I still had my learning curve there, too. Um, because Josh, you know, I, I love him to death, but, you know, school wasn't necessarily always the most important thing to Josh, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and he was obviously smart, though. So with with him, it had, it was more me having to accept the fact that there are different ways, and there are a lot of studies coming out about this now. There are different ways that kids show their learning style and how they show their aptitude. And we have a traditional mindset of that has to be school grades A through F, you know, first through twelfth grade, right? And that's fine. I mean, you know, I have nothing against that traditional path, but you know, Josh is is a kid whose intelligence is exhibited sometimes outside of those traditional measures. And I had to grow as a parent in terms of learning that and helping to encourage and push him in how to reinforce those areas in his life and not necessarily, again, I'm not excusing anything. He still has to try his best make the best grades he can, but not let, not fall for the trap of saying your academic performance on a traditional grading scale says who you are as a student. And so that was a learning curve for me as well that I'm still processing and trying to make sure I'm there for him. It goes back to your first um, question. That's how I need to be present for him as well. Mm-hmm. And, and man, those are those are things that I would say are the reasons that for any parent, and I and I have learned from this again. I, I value uh, our bat line, mm-hmm. you know, and the the additional relationships I have, but I certainly go to that first. 
because you, you got to have friends as your kids are going through school who you can bounce things off of and, and aren't going to be based in, you know, gossip right. or, or even your own, like you say, your own pieces of pride, your own expectations and, and get you out of the mindset of I'm trying to live vicariously through mm-hmm. my kid. Right. Right. Because again, in you and, and, and Dr. Damon Hines, mm-hmm. I have that, right. Who can say, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> right. You know, are you thinking about it this way? Or this has been my experience. Cause mm-hmm. I had the blessing that, you know, you both now have had kids who matriculated and are now uh, into college. So for anybody out there, I say, find the people, you know, find your people who you can really just be, be open and honest with when it comes to the kids and their matriculation through school, because otherwise it's very easy. And, and I, you know, as an educator, this is always in the forefront of my mind. Don't get caught up in the rat race and the keeping yeah. up with the Joneses because, you know, Preach. certainly out here in SoCal, and I'm sure it's the same everywhere, but certainly here in SoCal, you know, there's a, a specific cadre of schools that people want to get into. There's a specific one of colleges, you know, that kids want to get into. And so if you get caught up in who's doing what to get there, yep. you know, you really, like you say, are in a position, put yourself in a position to not really see your student for who they are. Right. Couldn't have said it better, man. hundred percent. Like, yeah, and it, it's something that, um, yeah, kind of, kind of have to constantly be vigilant about too, you know? Constantly, constantly. So here's, here's my last question before we get into our activity. We, we're doing something new with Mr. Sally. And again, this is because he is, he is my good friend. This should be fun. But the last question is you have now sent, you know, Miss Michael off to school and had that initial, you know, she's going off to school. My baby's going off to school, but now you had to do it again. And so the question is, mm-hmm. does it get any easier that that exit? Right. Because, I right. mean, I know, you know, she was away this summer. You know, there was some time at home and there's some time that now your family is whole again. Does it get any easier when, you know, now the kid goes back? Oh, you mean easier with Micah going back or easier with Josh now going and getting ready? Well, easier with Micah going back. Oh, right. Got you, got you. So, um, yes, no, it 100, 100% does. Um, and, you know, our situation is a little specific because she, even when she's on campus, she's still half an hour away, you know, so there's still that this is a comfort. But, but yes, um, it, it, it gets easier for from the parenting perspective for sure because I know for us, again, it's going to sound silly, but in the back of your mind is that question of can they survive you know yes. you know because i mean our job has literally been to keep them alive you know and i think a part of it is maybe it may be give us ourselves a little more self-importance than, than than we deserve but a part of this you know are they going to be able to survive without us and then once you once you see them go out and she found her way she had her struggles but the struggles were all within the range of normal struggles you know in terms of freshman year, sophomore year, once you see she will survive or they will survive, I think from the parent's perspective, you're like, okay, good. Um, we can now see who we are as parents in this phase of life, okay? The interesting thing, though, and some of this may be specific to Micah's personality, she, at the beginning, was like, I'm gone, I'm gone, I'm gone. You know, stop trying to hold me back. Stop trying to, you know, right. whatever, whatever. Now, though, as the realities of the difficulties of adulthood are starting yes. to present themselves to her, she's gone back to like, well, I know I'm supposed to report to campus today, but can I stay an extra week? You know, so like like she's she's now kind of saying, whoa, 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 you know, maybe I don't want to rush into 
this adulthood thing as quickly as I as I thought I did. So we, we kind of found ourselves kind of swapping places a little bit. Now we're the ones saying, uh, Micah, it's time for you to go to campus. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that whole, you know, I want to be away and be independent. It is time. It is time. Yeah, exactly. You, you have now outgrown outgrown this nest. Well, that's excellent. And, and I will continue to sing good vibes. If memory serves, it's a big weekend for Mr. Josh coming up. Yeah. So we hope that that goes well. Thank you, man, and again, we'll, we'll continue to, to wrap on it as, as we do. So here's, here's our activity. I'm going to call it tentatively, you know, where they stand. So Mr. Saladin in his professional life, again, very successful uh, writer, producer, Google him, IMDB, do all the things. And, and marvel at his career. But most recently, um, he was the exec producer on the reboot of The Wonder Years. And so I believe, and, and I'll be curious how humble he'll be, um, not only did he do an amazing job, you know, with that story, recasting it with a Black family and putting a different perspective on it, but he is put into, you know, the canon you know, one of the great black fathers, I believe, in the form of Bill Williams, uh, played by the great Dulé Hill, the ever talented Dulé Hill. And so what I wanted to do with Mr. Saladin is see where he stacks up his top five black fathers in sitcom lore. And so I'm thinking this is the way we do this. You tell me as a creative, if you think, you know, yeah. we, we can do it a better way. But I'm thinking you give your five uh-huh. and then we'll, we'll have a little critique and then I, and I'll give my five and we can see how they stack up. So Sounds good. you can you can rank them if you want or you can just say these are the five uh-huh. and we, we, we'll go from there. So. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to rank them. But, you know, with the caveat of make, you know, the, uh, some of the rankings will be up for discussion for sure. You know, um, got it. All right. And, um, you know, I'm going to. Mr. John, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna jump in here first. I know I, we talked about it before. I know this 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 may be a little sticky right now and in this this day and time um in terms of how we how we have to come to grips with the humans behind some of these roles. Yes, but yes. I'm gonna put Heathcliff Huxtable number one. I, I I I am and and I'm gonna make sure I make the distinction. I'm not putting Bill Cosby number one. Correct. Putting Heathcliff Huxtable number one for for basically the 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 walls he shattered and they shattered with that show and that character in terms of forcing America to not only see and and and, and accept a certain sort of black father and then family, but embrace it. You know. Yes. Like and let me just say before you even go on. We're jumping into the deep end of the pool, as Bishop says, right away. So right. I thought you were going to go at number five. Oh, my bad. You're at number one. Yeah. No, and it's all, and it's all good. So let's have the conversation because he was also my number one. Yeah. So continue with your, <laughs> you know, process on that, and then I will jump in and add Great. as necessary. All right, fantastic. Yes. So, so, so yeah, and so the fact that he became known as America's dad, you know, I, I just don't think you can overstate how much that did in terms of helping this country see black Americans as Americans, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it was the eighties it was still post civil rights and all those sorts of things, but still had a lot of disparity going on. You know, it still goes on now. I'm not pretending like it doesn't, doesn't go on now, but you know, media TV and film and media is such a powerful influencer. I just say, you know, that 
that ripple effect, I got to say, had to affect relationships in offices, in schools, in neighborhoods. Just the fact that, okay, maybe let me see this person in real life a little different than I used to see them because I see that may, there may be more to them than I thought. You know, just as, as simple as that. I, I, and that's very simplified. I do think the Cosby show and, 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 and the characters on that show, specifically Heathcliff Huxable, um, facilitated that. So that's that's the, the basis of it. Okay, so yeah. So I'm going to pick up the baton mm-hmm. there and just add on the idea, you know, because I'm an educator, right? So yeah. we talk these days a lot about windows and, 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 and mirrors, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. just when, you know, you turn on the TV on those Thursday nights mm-hmm. and you're, you're a, you know, middle to upper middle class family, the idea that it was okay, you know, to be a black self, right. you know, often in, you know, predominantly white spaces, yep. right? And how you navigate that. Yep. And then what you could be, right? So now you had this family where, you know, I grew up with school teachers as parents, mm-hmm. but now you had this family that a doctor at the head, right? Mm-hmm. So I, who knew what an OBG OBGYN was, right? That. Before, right? And, and that that was possible for Black yeah. families, right? So you're providing that, right? Yeah. And and the list goes, you know, on and on and on, right? The, the, the message is about the pride in the HBCU. Yeah. There's that. The you know, the embracing of and coming to grips with, you know, a son who was what we call now neurodivergent, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and all of those things. And just the subtle messages about, you know, Black art. They had the mm-hmm. auction episode, Black music. They had any number of, you know, great, you know, artists come through that show from Stevie to like, yep. look at the catalog, right? And then, you know, just funny stuff, right? So, active dad, right? So he runs in the pen relays, right, right? Right. You know, which for me is like, okay, you know, I end up at pen, ironically. So yeah, I don't, I don't think you can underscore and that's, you know, underscore mm-hmm. the impact of the show. And that's even understanding as I got older, the critique, right? Because right. it was a yeah. departure from good times, right. for example, mm-hmm. right? And, and yes, as a scholar, you can, you can get into the idea of promoting the black bourgeois and the talented tenth and all that. But having said that, I think the, the, the window and the mirror that it provided outweighs, you know, a lot of that. So yeah. yes, Heathcliff Huxtable, number one. Now I'll be very curious how you follow that up. I do. Cause I know. the agreement on that was too, was too quick. I, I imagine <laughs> there would be great departure after that. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, and I wish I had gone in, in reverse order like you said, but this would be interesting to it anyway. Um, so like so after after Heathcliff, it's gonna be you know I'm interested to hear hear your opinion because you 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 actually just mentioned this show. I'm gonna put James Evans number two. Oh. Now now mind you, I say that also you know confessing you know I I too am critical of Good Times in terms of the. The place it, it holds in the lexicon of black shows, I, I understand at the time why it was a thing to be celebrated because it was one of those things we just did not have much representation at all. But I certainly, through the, through the lens of looking back in the history, see that, you know, the caricatures of not, not just JJ, who's the obvious target, but just the, the, the caricature of black poverty and, mm-hmm. and, and the insistence of, you know, 
y'all are gonna be happy, even though you in the ghetto, you know, like the, the whole premise of the show was was in spite of it all, we still have good times. And I and I get that. Right. You know, in some ways, a kernel of that is what we did in the Wonder Years as well. But it's it, it was certainly done in a way I felt that you I can certainly understand the argument of it was um, exploiting some things, you know, mm-hmm. um, for for the sake of the broader audience. So me saying James Evans isn't necessarily a defense of good times, um, more but more so recognizing that. With, with all his flaws and whatever good times was, James was a very strong man. Okay. Yes. Um, strong black man. He was stubborn, you know. And, and in fact, you know, so was he Cliff Huxtable. You know, James James had flaws. Okay. And I, I don't think I don't think they shied away from those flaws. Um, but there's something to be said, you know, with the fact that they still chose to show a cohesive black family with a, with a, with uh-huh. a father and, and mother. Now, mind you, you know, I look at it now and like, I mean, five dollars must have been like a month's rent to them because they there were episodes where like it was like, oh, I got five dollars, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know why he got paid so little on his job, but he was hardworking. And I do I, I, I do value the fact that with all his flaws, to, to my recollection, he always put his family first. You know, yes, and I, I do think that's something. You know, we talk in a more global sense of what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a man. I certainly subscribe to the definition of the servant leader. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of what it means to be a, a, the man of your house. Um, and you know, look, James was stubborn, bullheaded. He he he, he was he was also the do as I say kind of dad. But I see him as being the person that said, "I'm going to make the sacrifices I need to make." to put my family first. And to have that as a black male, I, I, I think needs to be recognized as well. That's hilarious. So my number two is is like 180 degrees Uh-oh. different. <laughs> I go James Banks. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So you're you're in you're in hard scrabble, you know, Chi Town. I'm in I'm in Bel Air. <laughs> you know what? Hey, no I mean, I don't know if I would have his number two, but certainly cannot argue, um, can't argue the the um, the value of Uncle Phil's characters. Well, you know, in, in fact, it touches upon a lot of the stuff we have talked about, both with Heathcliff and with with James. You know, he certainly represents. He he was a continuation of. Um, well, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't. I don't want to. No, no. Finish that thought because that's. I'll jump off from there because okay, I, I okay, feel yeah, like yeah. we're going in the right direction. He was a a continuation of like bucking against the norm, you know, I mean, him, him being, I think he was a judge, right? You know, he became a judge, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. But him being like a successful lawyer in Bel, Bel Air, um, that was, I think the next frontier for us to kind of tackle, you know, after what, after the doors that he could hustle opened as a character for sure. Absolutely. And so here's why he's number two is that, like you say, in building upon a Heathcliff, mm-hmm. There were episodes that stick out in my mind where he absolutely reminded America that he didn't forget where he came from. Right. Right. So if I have to be black man, mm-hmm. even though I I I navigate very skillfully, mm-hmm. you know, spaces that are dominated by white people, I can do that. Right. And I will defend that. Right. Yeah. You know, so there was an episode where he had to get, the, you know, William Carlton out of jail. No, and, exactly. You know, you know, and, and stuff like that. Or he had to, you know, help the boys understand that their privilege 
had limits. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know? That's a valuable lesson. Valuable lesson. So Wasn't for me... Where, where he pulled out his, his custom pool cue? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so yeah, so so I I like that again because there's there's that there's that window to see how you do that, mm-hmm. right? So by the time Fresh Prince is on, you know, you I'm a young adult, right. you know, and, and you know, not necessarily married with kids yet, but it's giving those messages that you go back to and now like, oh yeah, that that was the thing, and so when you you happen to catch a Fresh Prince of Bel Air now hits in a different way as a father. Yeah, it does, hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, so James Banks definitely because he 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 more than anything showed how you can move through an even tighter space than Heathcliff Huxley. Like you know, they're in New York, right? right. They're in the melting pot. Right. But again, I'm literally sitting in Bel Air currently, right? And so right. you know, he's showing he was he was giving you how to navigate that with a grace and a pride that, you know, honestly is instructive. So he, he's number two, number gotcha. two. All right. Interesting. All right. All right. Not mad number at three. All. all right. Number three. So this is when I'm going to put them in the order, but you know, th- th- these may be a little more interchangeable, but for the purpose of our discussion, I, I will, I will try to argue that the, that the space that I put in there. Um, all right. Number <laughs> this is going to make you laugh. Um, Fred Sanford. Oh wow! <laughs> Not <God. laughs> I have to hear the explanation on this one. I got to All hear. Right. Now, you, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue it, but I can certainly be convinced to move Fred Sanford down on the list. But so it it, it honestly is weird. Not not weird. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say weird. It's, it's similar to the, uh, the to the case for Heathcliff, but different from the case for James. But for, for James Evans, it was inspired the show. For for Fred Sanford, I at the time now you know Sanford and Son. I'm a big big fan of Sanford and Son, especially the first two or three seasons. Now it became a it, it became a pretty silly slapstick broad kind of thing towards the end. So right. I was talking about those years, but the first couple of seasons when it was really kind of like a one act two act play, you know, really really leaned heavily into the 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 British show that um step to and step to and son that that it kind of was a um. Uh, adaptation of, you know, Red Fox was a comedian, great actor. Simone Wilson played, you know, Lamont was a theater actor. Like, it was quality craftsmanship put in the form of 70s sitcom tropes, okay? Okay, okay. By the way, I am today years old when I learned that Sanford and Son was an adaptation of a British Show. It was. It, it was. Um, and, you know, and, and a lot of people, a lot of people would also be today's today years old. I think when they find it out, because it wasn't talked about a lot then. Um, so, so now look, and, and I, I'm trying to be careful. Everybody knows that you, big dummy, Elizabeth. I'm, I'm coming to join you, honey. Which I think is hilarious. I, I, I'm a fan. It's funny. I'm not necessarily <laughs> trying to trying to die on that hill, saying you know that that was that much better than dynamite, you know, whatever. But the adult father-son relationship on that show was one, I don't, I'm sure I'm forgetting some shows, but we don't usually see the adult black father-son relationship on TV. Mm. It is usually normal, typical, you know, families and things like that. And that, that dynamic 
is specific and allows you to explore some conflict, pain, hurt, disappointment, joy that you you couldn't do on the Cosby Show or couldn't do on some of these other shows because you know Lamont was sacrificing a lot to stay at that job with his dad because it was a family name kind of um kind of um, yep. business and you know the the comedy of Fred always sabotaging Lamont's efforts to get away or, or do better. It's funny, but at the heart of it, it is two black men saying we are better together than we would be separate. Okay. Again, I don't want to make it sound deeper than it really is, but I just think it holds a specific and unique place in the landscape of the black dad relationship because of that one fact. It was an adult son dealing with adult stuff. He was, you know, engaged for, well, Fred was engaged forever. Lamont was always trying to, you know, like, was going to get get a woman to move out, get a better job to move out. You know, just the kind of stuff you can't explore with, with, with these other shows because you're dealing more with father-children sorts of things. So anyway, that's it. I don't want to make more of it than that. Okay, I got you. I, I understand the thinking. Yeah. I will say, to me, the not the greatest thing about Sanford and Son, uh, but the thing that forever holds Sanford and Son in my mind, the, that theme song oh yeah the great quincy jones great quincy jones that's an amazing theme song. like the first time and again i could i don't think you could appreciate when when the show is out and i'm younger but as you're older and you realize all that quincy jones is yeah and and for him to bless that show with that you know sam and assemble just for that you know will will always hold hold a spot uh in the next time but i do think you make a great point about the older piece of it because that was my original thing you said, I was like, man, that's an old dad. Yeah, right. Whereas, quickly, my number three, and we don't got to spend too much time on because I've already, you know, expressed my love, Bill Williams, right? Yeah. I, th- okay. I think I think Dulé as Bill Williams, he's in my top five. So he's right there. And and the quick reasons why, and I'll, and I'll leave it to see how you respond because this is, this is someone that you had to shape and craft. Right. Easily the coolest, right? right? So you got you big dummy, be cool. I might even make my own shirt, right? <laughs> like that. That's gonna be. I mean, forever when I see Dulé now, it's always gonna be be cool <laughs> in the way that he says it in the show, right? Yeah. And so there's that piece. There's there's a different type. You know, he was old school because it's the '60s, and he mm-hmm. was firm, and his level of communication wasn't certainly with Heathcliff Huxtable or even what right. you would see from like, um, you know, Andre Johnson on Blackish, who I guess would be kind of this generation's, right. you know, America's dad. But the message always came across. The love always came across. He was this jazz player, mm-hmm. you know, who was also a professor. So again, we got this high level of education, which you have to appreciate. I love the way y'all did the Marvin Gaye piece, <laughs> you know? So yeah, Bill Williams. Well, look, I, I, of course, I got to appreciate that, man. You know, uh, clearly it's a character that's dear to my heart, you know, um, somewhat inspired by my own dad, you know, um, but also by the men, like you said, by the black men of that time specifically. Um, I can't bring myself to put him on my list. I think there's a conflict of interest, but I, 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 I will say this. I wouldn't expect, I would not have expected you to. <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. I appreciate you pointing those things out, John. And I got to say, 
um, one of the things, one of the many things that I'm most proud of in terms of that show, in terms of the audience's response to it, was when people say things like what you just said about how they appreciated that representation of Black fatherhood. You know, whether whether they appreciated it because it reminded them of a time they lived mm-hmm. and experienced, or whether they appreciated it because it's something they hadn't seen before. You know, so I certainly um, I'm, I'm very grateful to hear you you say that. You know, I, I'll say this. Had the show been able to go on as long as I had hoped and prayed it was going to go on, then I certainly do feel Bill would have, on my list as well, earned earned his way up there. You know, um, I certainly do um, see that it was he he has a unique space in in a, of himself for sure. Excellent. So you can Dulé can pin it on you know that he was in there and exactly, you know exactly. he doesn't have to give you crap for for leaving it all. All right, number four, who you got? All right, number four, number four, um, Bernie Mac. Okay. Bernie Mac, Bernie Mac. You know, and yeah, I'm a little biased too, you know, because I, 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 was a, I was a writer and producer on that show, but the show pre-existed my time there. So, you know, he he was the character he was, both in his comedy and on the show, well before I had anything to do with it. So, you know, uh, I'm talking about the years before I got there. I think the first two seasons of Bernie Mac show, I would hold up against the first two seasons of any show in TV history, man. Um, mm. I think what Larry and those guys did was amazing. What Bernie brought to it was amazing. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, now again, Bernie though, it's interesting about, the, about Bernie's character in the Bernie Mac show is he was unique because of the time the character existed in because he was an old school dad's mentality in a new school parenting environment, right? Yes. You know, yes. Had he been back in the 60s or 70s, he wouldn't have stood out at all. But, you know, the, the, premise of the, the premise of that show clearly was he was still holding on to some old school parenting techniques and, and philosophies that we were too afraid of or too, or too um, felt was not, 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 you know, not PC enough. And so that was the Or whole, certainly people would say had evolved from, right, like evolved exactly, beyond. Exactly, you know, and, and without getting too academic, I think what that show does, it's a good example of what happens in society a lot is when the pendulum pendulum swings a little too far in one direction. And this happens a lot. And, and people are using this argument in a lot of much more serious topics than we're talking about now in terms of what we accept in society and what we we don't question anymore, okay? And I don't want to get into too much of that. But in terms of parenting, though, the show had the point of view of, yes, there were some things that we now know better, okay, in terms of kids' emotional health, in terms of, you know, in terms of um, the psychological side of parenting and, and, and what has, you know, negative effects and things like that. Yes. But the show is pointing out we may have swung too far and, and forgotten there was also some value in yeah. some of those other old school parenting techniques and perspectives that maybe not everything, but we don't want to, you know, lose some of the good stuff because we're moving away from the bad stuff. And so right. I think you know, that's a very important perspective for us to have at various points in history and that character represented a very you know i thought comedic way to um to kind of put that question in our face you know at that time and plus it's bernie bernie was just funny you know yeah and 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 i'll just add quickly that he was my number five and you know i think a lot of that and we've been naming our biases so i was just such a fan of his comedy like bernie to me is on the mount rushmore of stand-up comedians you know there was always the thing when that show came out that he was overdue, right? right? Because you'd had 
at that time, if you were the hot comedian, of course you had a show, yep. right? And so his fellow kings of comedy had all had their shows already, yep. and he was finally getting his. And I agree, just off of his comedy as the backbone of the show, mm-hmm. those first couple seasons are just, yeah, you know, and he's this stay-at-home dad because of the hours of the comedian, yeah, you know, and and like you say, in an old school mindset, yep. so. No, it was it was great. And it was new, right? So it was right. you know, technically it had like, you know, the single cam was yep. like a new way to yep. do the show. And he's he's breaking the fourth wall and all yep. these different things, you know, because it's Bernie, right? Yeah, and right. and you just ate it all up. So yes, he was my number five. So I'm curious who your number five will be, and then I'll just go back and get my number four. Okay. I I, I think you I think we have have I think our four and five are mirrored. My number five is gonna be Andre Johnson from um for Blackish. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not me, but I. But no. I, would okay, let you, okay, sorry. no. I, I thought that's you had. He, as, as, he, um, he would be a definite honorable mention right there because again, I do think you know he is this generation's. And again, to your point about longevity, mm-hmm. because of how long Blackish lasts, right? He's when you do when you do the you know the the the, uh, the time capsule right, of this right. generation of Black yeah. TV, you gotta have him in there as a. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so I yeah I had a number five for, for for the reasons that you've kind of touched upon in terms of who he represents for this generation. Again, I would hold the first, definitely the first season of Blackish up against any other shows first season. The second season, some of you know, like I I I think the, I think the show started kind of venturing into some more broad territory in that second season. But that first season of Blackish, just in terms of the relatability of the characters and stories to a very specific type of black family that I think you and I relate to as well. Um, like the, the Hustables navigated themselves in a predominantly white world in terms of professionally and things like that. But blackish really spoke to the experiences we have when you're navigating yourself in a socially white world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it just, it just, you know, Kenya just really tackled that head on. And I just think, it, he, it was the voice of a lot of our collective experiences, you know, um, and I think it, they, they represented it accurately um, and represented it well. And, and the character of, of Dre, you know, having that, I mean, I just, I love the point of view that, that they gave him that I wanted black kids, but what I got were kids that were kind of blackish, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and what does that mean? And, 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 you know, again, he was a character that would put his foot in his mouth and make mistakes. He wasn't always right. So it wasn't a, preachy kind of thing. I, I, I just I just thought, you know, and I give Anthony Anderson a lot of credit for making that character as um, lovable and relatable as he did, you know, but I just, I just think he spoke to spoke to a population that had experiences that hadn't been represented in that way before. So, you know, okay, that, that's why I put him. Yeah, and the last thing I'll put on that before I give you my number four is that I feel like they really nailed certainly with kids, right? To bring it back to, to our yeah. show and the schooling yeah. piece, the, the the tension that arises when, like you say, you are a parent, you feel like you're going to raise your kids in a certain way. And then because of the environment that they're in, yeah. it ain't going to turn out how you thought necessarily. And you have to come to grips with that, yeah. right? So how kids identify, you know, their blackness, even though clearly melanin-wise, they are that, but how they identify, how they act it out, Yep. It's gonna be different. And so how do you then make sense of that as a parent? Right. And 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 while at the same time, 
making sure that they understand, you know, there are some still very real things in yeah. this world that, you know, being a black child, you know, will bring to you. You yeah. will experience, you know, yeah. it isn't so different. Right. So my number four, and again, Andre Johnson would have been honorable mention, but again, much like a Bernie McCullough, Damon Williams okay. as Michael Kyle in My okay. Wife and Kids. Like, again, just such a master comedian mm-hmm. that the way he carried that show, and, and he has some pieces still of, of Heathcliff Huxley, right? So again, yeah, right. why he's number one? Because he would do the thing where he would let the kids learn their own lessons mm-hmm. and be there to put them back together, right? Right. So particularly, and again, as I, as I'm talking about it, like you can see some of the parallels in the way that he deals with Junior. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some updating of the of the Heathcliff and Theo right. relationship, um, but they tackled some things um, and just. Yeah, he was hilarious, you know, and could turn anything. He could still deliver the medicine and the message and do it with to make you laugh. I I agree. You know, I mean, Damon Wayans can't not be funny, you know. Um, And yeah, and that. So, I I mean, is this so you had number four, right? No, you know, I I find no can't can't find no fault in that man, because he certainly especially at that time to, you know, because I, I, I remember a little, little bit of controversy because they, they tried to schedule my wife and kids kind of kind of programming with Bernie Mac against Bernie Mac, you know, yes. and they're like, yes. you know, why you got to put the, the two blacks, you know, male lead family shows against each other. He was certainly he certainly represented that perspective and that style or whatever of, of black fatherhood. Well, he was an important part to the whole pie. hundred percent. Yes. 100%, you know, um, I'm trying to remember some of like some of the. Some of the more memorable moments, you know. I mean, I remember most most of the stuff I remember from that show was, was about him and Junior and that frustration, <laughs> the, the comedic frustration he had with that character. And Junior was kind of like, you know, it's funny you you kind of mentioned how you know Damon's character Michael was kind of analogous to Heathcliff in certain ways. Junior was kind of like a Theo, but he was pushed push a little further, you know, maybe maybe more to the stereotypical dumb side, you know, than Theo was. Yes. Um, but it certainly was about, you know, one thing I, I would definitely give him credit for was kind of challenging the notion of black maleness, you know, mm-hmm. um, with the junior stuff, you know what I mean? Um, with him kind of being able to, to be wrong, if, if, if memory serves me correctly, and kind of being shown a different way of seeing things, you know? Yes. Um, that still doesn't mean you're, you're less black or less father. You know what I mean? So yeah, I certainly see a strong argument for him being number four on your list, man. And I will say, you know, just to put a bow on this, cause I, I, this has been awesome and it's gone way longer, but I think it's valuable, yeah. but I don't think you can talk about how great he was in that show without mentioning the great Tisha Campbell, 100%. who I think elevated, you know, him because their dynamic, yeah. you know, much like, a you know, Bill Cosby and Felicia Rashad, was just magic in a different way, yeah. you know. So, hundred percent. So the partnership, you, you know, no. highlights him. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that, man, because um, you're right. We would be remiss not to point out, like you said, with Tisha, but also with Felicia, you know, and her place in the lexicon too, in terms of black mom. But you know, Heath Heathcliff wouldn't have stood out as much as he did if he wasn't a part of that couple. You know, they yes. they were a loving couple. They were a sexually active couple. I didn't necessarily put that together as a kid, but man, you, you, 
you watch it. Yes, now, you knew when it was time for some loving time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? And also to her credit, and this is a little bit inside baseball, um, and I'll share it with, with, with your listeners, you know, um, I mean, look, there's nothing to be said about Bill Cosby that, that can make people, you know, <laughs> um, lower, lower him in their eyes any more than what he's done on his own. But I'll say this, though, to give Felicia credit. Um, the story is, during the, 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 the filming of the episodes of The Cosby Show, you know, Bill Cosby, the man, was not known to actually follow a script, you know. And that's, that, that's I personally, as a writer, feel that's a flaw of his, you know. Um, he, was, he was known as being the kind of actor that says, the script is at best a guideline for me, okay. So oftentimes what we see on the show and what we come to love is him, you know, doing his Bill Cosby stuff, his antics, you know, going off yes. on, on on tangents and rambling about stuff and going off and Felicia's job, one of her jobs, in addition to being a great actress, knowing her lines, being able to to act them out and the mold and, and be that professional mom um, character is she was the one who was in charge of reigning Bill Cosby in with little mm. nudges and dialogue of like, you know, that's good, Heathcliff, but you remember we're doing this or, you know, Heathcliff, you're right, you're right. But remember, Rudy has this. So she was the one during the tapings who was pulling him back to actually the story at hand that the episode needed to be about while he was doing his, you know, various, you know, Cosby-esque riffs. Like, it's great that you're doing you right now, but we need to, right. you know, almost like a great jazz musician. Like, you, you know. That's exactly what it was. You know, you got to have that rejoinder to get it back to, all right, your solo's over now. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And, that, and I think that, that takes a skill for a, a humility as well. But also, you know, I, I think that takes a skill as an actress. Too, um, well, I think anybody would be hard pressed to say that Felicia Rashad is anything less than a master exactly. of her craft. So not surprising that that was her role. And that, again, among all the things she did in that show, carried it off with such grace. My friend, I thank you because yes, this was even you. better than I thought. Again, this was a great excuse to be able to talk to you, not on text. <laughs> um, right. And just be able to pick your brain and, and share your, your greatness with, with, with my audience, you know, who's probably many of ours mutual friends. Uh, so hopefully we get to do this again and kick around. Maybe we'll have to kick around the, the, the top five moms and, and yeah, give more go. light to the partners. <laughs> there you the go. next time it. we do this. Cool. My pleasure, man. I loved it. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay, man. Take care. Yep. Hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did with my good friend, Salim Patterson. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with our normal format and all the bells and whistles. See you then, taking notes with Dr. John Carroll. The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties.